Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. This is one of those episodes I am so excited to share with you. I sat down with Dr. John Deloney and his book doesn't come out actually for another few weeks, but I wanted to air it right now because number one, I'm kicking off a mini series on mental health and this is the very first episode. And number two, uh, John's book is on pre-sale and there are some really incredible bonuses with the pre-sale, including a month of free weekly therapy sessions from BetterHelp. So if that is something you think you could use, um, I'm going to have the link in um, the show notes, all but where you can buy this book. Go pre-order the book because you will get um, the audiobook, the ebook, as well as a link for these free weekly therapy sessions. The book is called Own Your Past, Change Your Future by Dr. John Deloney. I also want you to stick to the end of the episode. I actually have a few more things I want to share um, that I, some tools that I have found that helped me with my mental health, and I want to share those with you at the end. So enjoy this conversation that I've had with Dr. John Deloney. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I am sitting here with the one and only Dr. John Deloney, rhymes with baloney. And Dr. John is a mental health expert. He is a national best-selling author, a husband, a father, and a Ramsey personality. And if you're wondering what in the world is that, I'm going to ask him to unpack that because we've actually had two others on the show, uh, Christy Wright and Ken Coleman. Those have been some of my favorite episodes And we're going to talk about his latest book, Own Your Past, Change Your Future, A Not-So-Complicated Approach to Relationships, Mental Health, and Wellness. And I want to say I love this line from his book that says, we're the most technologically advanced society in history, but we've never been more stressed, medicated, or lonely. We have a thousand Facebook friends, but no one to help us move our couch. The pace of life is making us exhausted. Now, I was joking with Dr. John before uh, we started recording, and I was going to tell him what I really thought about his book. And so here it comes. (laughs) Now, bring it, Jacqueline. I have been reading his book as an e-copy, which meant I could not throw it across the room because it's in my computer. Now, I'm going to say that is actually a really high compliment because it is the questions He is asking at the end of every chapter that are the questions we need to be answering in our lives. And so they are the questions that you have to imagine for a second. When you are legitimately sick, something is wrong, and you go to the doctor's office, you're sitting on that or laying down in that awkward paper thing, and the doctor is pressing and they're like, is it hurt here? And you're like, no, it's hurt here. And then they hit that spot and you're like, oh, yes. 
And that is what John is doing with the questions in his book. In the same way that a doctor is pressing there, not because he wants to inflict pain on you, but he wants to help you identify this is the spot that needs healing. That is what you are going to get out of John's new book. So John, welcome to Ready to Thrive. Hey, thank you, Jacqueline. I'm grateful that you had me on your show. It's awesome. And I appreciate that my book is so valuable that you want to throw it across the room. That makes my heart feel good. (laughs) That makes my heart feel good. So glad. (laughs) Well, um, that was an incredibly long intro. I love a really good, like, full-length intro. Um, But tell us a little bit more about who you are and kind of where you come from, how you landed um, becoming a Dave Ramsey personality, but also writing this book. So take us back just a little bit. So I have, for the last two decades, worked as a high school teacher. Most of my time has been spent working in universities, in colleges, in a dean of students role. And about halfway through my time working in colleges and universities, I was accepting everything. I was on a bullet train to a college presidency. That's what I wanted to do. And um, this young little go get them kid. And I thought I was all fancy with my big fancy PhD. And I ran headlong into reality, which is my body said, you can keep running this hard. I'm out. And over the next decade, I've spent, I went and got a second PhD in counseling. I had to figure out, and I'm a, I'm a curious guy. I had to figure out what happened. What happened to me? What happened to my marriage? What happened to my relationships? I've uh, been married to the same person for 20 years, and we're still figuring it out monthly, it feels like, or weekly maybe. And I got two little kids, and all of a sudden, I started to look at my friends around me, at my colleagues around me, at the presidents I was working for, with the leaders behind closed doors I was working with, and realized, oh, they're all falling apart too. What are we doing? And then I joined a crisis response team with the local police department and just started showing up in the middle of the night doing death notifications and crisis victim services when the worst things in people's lives come true. Um, me and um, a small team of people would show up to be there in the middle of the night to sit with them and to figure out what, what happens next. And that became the ringside seat to we have created a world for ourselves. We got so smart and so fast and so quick. We've created a world that we can no longer live in. And what do we do now? What does wellness look like now? What does a healthy relationship look like now? What does being a good parent look like now? And this book has been Dave looked at me when it was over and he said, you've been writing this book for a decade, haven't you? And I said, yeah. And so um, how I ended up here, man, I was the dean of students at, I had my dream job over here at a university in Nashville. I was a dean of students and was loving life. And I ran into, I uh, gave a speech at a big event and Dave's executive vice president was there. And she said, I'm going to hire that guy. And then a year later, it's one of those weird, it'll make a good behind the scenes VH1 series one day. But it was really that random. I'd never been on the radio, never did podcast or anything like that. Had no interest in this. And here we are. Well, I love that. I love um, how even your own story of how you ended up here really ties into so much of your book about stories. And you go through this whole really onslaught of the stories that... Um, we have in our lives. And so many of those stories we can't control. There are things that have been part of, I'm not going to lie, reading that the book as a parent, you're like, 
okay, how do I not screw up my kids? Um, <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and yes, help you with that. You, you will. It's okay. all good, right? And you will. Then... <laughs> um, one of the things I do believe, though, is that as uh, the story that my husband and I have is that we went through our own big, I'm going to say inside job of healing on our own. That has been key to us having a healthy marriage uh, as well as in our parenting. And so I think that's going to be the thing. If anybody's thinking, okay, I really don't want to screw up my kids. I'm going to say, start with you. And one of the things that you're really asking people to do here is to take a look in the mirror and be really honest. And that is hard because when we go to that place, um, we are not going to like some of the things that we are going to see. That's right. And so would you say, like, is that a first step for people? Just beginning to kind of turn and face some of those things? Like, where would people start when it comes to paying attention to some of the stories that maybe they've, the stories they've been kind of brought up in or the stories they've experienced in their lives? I think the stories in our lives are really the oxygen that we breathe. We don't even know that it's there. And it keeps us going. And sometimes some of the most insidious, some of the worst stories we believe help us in our adult life or they served some role when we were a kid, right? So a good example, and I talked about this in the book, was um, my sister is a savant. She's smarter than me, 10X. My little brother missed like one question on the ACT or something, right? So I'm sandwiched between two really smart kids. I, I liked... I like playing sports. That was kind of my thing. And in third grade, I got asked to or invited to um, test for the gifted and talented program. This is third grade. And grades were a big deal in my house. And I had a smart sister. My little brother was really young. And I didn't make it. I, I, they told me no. And listen, it sounds cool to tell people you have two PhDs. It really does. It has helped me professionally to have two doctors. It has. And the fact that I'm still chasing validation from a story that I got when I was in third grade, which was, eh, you're average, or you're not smart enough for the smart kids. They didn't tell me that. That's a story I picked up on my own, and I never thought to challenge it. And so I've lived with this shadow that you're not very smart. Everyone else is smarter than you. You're, you're just average, right? And I allowed that. To, the number of decisions I've made professionally, personally, out of that one story, and there's a thousand more. When your buddies tell you, oh, you, you look fat in that shirt, or when your mom won't stop texting and you start to tell yourself, oh, she likes that little shiny box more than me. Or when your dad says, oh, honey, you want to be pretty for the boys, and that shirt doesn't make you pretty does it so let's don't wear that shirt you pick up these stories and we don't even challenge them we don't know to challenge them and then you get older and you work at a place that tells you i own you 20 hours a day you're mine i need you to check email first thing you wake up first thing or last thing you do before you go to bed and we just accept that story and then we try to backfill wellness backfill marriage backfill parenting backfill good humanitarian and good citizen into those stories and it's not look around man we're falling apart it's not working and so to answer your question, we've got to go back and begin to ask ourselves, what are these stories I was born into? What did my church tell me? What did my family tell me? What did, you know, 
we're we we just eat whatever we want in our house or we vote democrat in our house or we're the kind of people we don't save money that's for we're just not money saving kind. what are the stories you were born into and then what are the stories you were told what did that coach tell you what did your dad tell you what did that boyfriend tell you that still hangs around in your heart and soul and then the most insidious ones are those stories become the stories you tell yourself what are the things you tell yourself when you look at what are you worth? What are you not worth? What are you capable of? What are you not capable of? And then you got to do the hard stuff and be about what do you do next? And that's that's a cultural issue that we're all wrestling with. We like to live in the past. We like to victimize the past, yell at the past, be angry at the past. And I think we've done a terrible job of empowering people on what do you do next? What does healing look like moving forward? Well, I think um, one of the first steps is kind of having those aha moments where you go... I almost felt like some of reading your book was like the matrix where you step out and you go, oh, what does it look like to look right. in? And um, I remember exactly where I was sitting a number of years ago when I had this aha moment. I was sitting on my couch and I remember thinking, friendships are really important to me. And I had just taken some sort of personality test that talked about how I was social and had friends. And I remember thinking, okay, so why... Why don't I have more friends? Like, what am I doing? And I, I stumbled upon this one friendship and I had gotten a text from this woman and it was a birthday party invite, but it was one of those, my, the party is tomorrow. So it really felt like a late invite. And immediately I thought, oh, she feels sorry for me. She doesn't really like me. And I realized that was based on a message that we had sent back and forth 10 years ago where I had, I had said I was in a kind of a hard place. She was quite a few years older than me, a busy mom with little kids. I didn't know what that meant at the time. And I was like, you're my best friend and something like that, which is, again, not really what you want to do in friendship uh, when it's a new friendship. And so I think she just responded. It wasn't anything mean, but I took it as rejection. So ever since then, I had been telling myself, she doesn't really like you. She just feels sorry for you. Anytime you get an invite... And I sat there and I went, what if that's not true? And that's so, the magic moment, right? And so I actually took her out for coffee and I said, hey, I wasn't being accusing or attacking. I just said, I've had this thing I've been believing and I just want to know, like, I've been believing you don't really like me. And she was so shocked hmm. and it, everything, all the conversation we had afterwards led to the fact that that's not true, but I realized what else in my life have I been believing that's also not true? Yeah. And so um, for me- And we yeah. carry these things, Jacqueline. Oh my gosh, we all carry this stuff. Whether it's true, not true. Some of it is true. Yeah. Some of it is, you may have been 40 pounds overweight when you were a kid. That may be true. That doesn't mean you're unlovable yeah. as an adult, right? And, and we just, golly, we carry that stuff. So then for you, knowing, because I think we all kind of have- I would say, and I, I talk about them in this language of having things being planted and some of them almost like a weed. Some of them are like really little, like you get those tiny weeds, you're like, they're gone. But then you get those giant deep weeds. And I think we all have a few that are bigger than others. Like you have that one that has to do with academics and striving. And so what have you done to be able to really replace that belief, that story with the truth? It, it comes down to being very honest with yourself and owning your stories. There's really no, nothing you can do 
before you can take ownership of your stories. And that can happen when you're a teenager. And if you work with teenagers who have, or, you know, who have dealt with terrible trauma and abuse, they learn this earlier. What ha happened to you was wrong. What happened to you is, was not because of you. It's because this person's um, evil. This person hurt you. And now you get to own what happens next. Most of us don't have those moments. We, they happen to us organically over time. And we learn these things in our, in our adulthood. When you get fired for the first time for being late again and again and again. And you just got to say, okay, I'm not, can't be late, right? So we got to own these stories. I wish there was a less, less cheesy way to say what I'm about to say. But this is just how I live my life. Um, I have it right here. You can see it. It's got a bunch of, I don't know, stickers on it, whatever. But this is just something I carry around with me all the time. And I wish I had a non-cheesy name for this, but it's the stories journal. It's got my gratitude stuff in it. And it's got my, hey, I need to get this done today stuff. But when I went to hug my six-year-old a few weeks ago, and she said, Daddy, you always want to hug. Get away from me. The first thing that popped in my head was, of course, because you're a sucky dad, because you're on the road all the time. That was the first story that popped in my head, and I wrote it down. And what I do with that story is I demand evidence from it, just like you do. Is this true? Am I gone a lot? Yep. Am I a terrible dad? No. Am I dealing with a six-year-old? Yes. And we don't let her vote and we don't let her buy beer because she's six. And so I'm not going to let her hurt my feelings either, right? So I'm going to demand evidence from these stories. And this takes time and it takes community to do it with you. And sometimes it takes a professional. And sometimes you're dealing with really rough trauma. And sometimes you're dealing with just benign things like, hey, you tried out for something when you were in third grade and suddenly that planted itself. And I'd even go further. Sometimes you've got weeds. I think we need to look at the soil. I think we need to look at the air and the sunshine on this, on our plants, right? The whole thing's a mess and really owning what I can own out of this thing. But I think you start with owning those stories and then you got to acknowledge reality. Is this true or not? Like, right. Is this accurate? Well, I love that you share about getting it out. So you're writing it down, which I think is a, and you talk about this, like there is scientific evidence in terms of how getting things out um, makes a difference. So you're writing it out. I had a similar moment last week, dropping my kids off at school. And I watched another mom go walk over to another part of the school. And I don't know what she was doing. If she was maybe just hanging out with other moms, something that made her a great mom. And immediately <laughs> I was like, I, and I was like, she's a great mom. Jacqueline, I, you got out mom. You got out mom. I'm a terrible mom. And <laughs> Those things we just let ruminate in our head. Mm -hmm. And if we do not get them out either with, I just had a very honest conversation with my husband the other night where I was like, I know there's some stuff happening in here in my head that needs to come out. I know there's things that are not true. I know there's things I'm feeling discouraged about. And I know, and I'm not trying to dump on my husband. I'm just trying to, I know he's a safe space who's going to listen. He doesn't have to fix anything. And he is going to tell me the truth. He, Magic. one of the, my Magic. favorite, favorite qualities is he will not let me be the worst version of myself by believing a lie. Mm. And so I love the idea of just journaling, getting it out there. Um, because we all have those things that just, they just seem to slip their way into our head. We ruminate on them. And then we sticking with this weeds analogy, we actually tend to cultivate them because we pick up little bits of evidence. And so you talk about this in your book too, how we see things 
And we're like, oh yeah, that must be true because I'm seeing it over here. Yeah, we, we will. Uh, two things. One is what I love about writing it down is the key for mental health, the key for being well, is what I call the gap, is the gap between when I feel it and when I think it and then I, my response. And if I can pause in that gap, when I see that my wife left you know, a bag on the counter and my first thought is she did it because she wants to ruin my day. And I start to snap. If I can stop there and go, seriously, or maybe she's exhausted because I'm not helping around here and she's working all, you know what I mean? So it's that gap. And for me, writing stuff down gets it out of my body. It puts it at arm's length and it gives me some space between stimulus and response. And I love that. There's some physiology. There's a lot of you know science and research about that, but there's something powerful about writing it and getting it out. Um, what was the second thing I was going to tell you? It was going to be shapeshifter for you. It was going to blow your mind. I just it, forgot it. What were we, we just talking about just before that? Cultivating and get pointing out the things that we see. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and there's also some science about what you look for in the world. You will for sure find over and over and over again. Um, and so if you go around, you know, you, you've, you've heard the famous study about, I think it's a buying a red car. You buy a red car on a lot and you drive out, you see red cars everywhere. Not there's, there's more red cars, but now you're looking for them because you're in one, right? The same thing about negative people, the same thing about tragedy, the same thing about hard stuff. If you go looking for that, for places in the world that don't like you, you'll find them everywhere. And if you go looking for beauty, you're going to find a rose growing out of the concrete, right? You're going to see stuff everywhere that reminds you of joy and beauty. And I, I always want to be careful because I've worked with people for my whole career. I've experienced it myself. The worst of the worst, the most unimaginable moments that when the wheels fall off. And so this isn't just, these aren't all quote unquote stories. There is real evil and real devastation and real trauma and real tragedy and real racism and real broken hearts. Those things are real. What a lot of us, what, what, the, what trauma does to us is it parks us there. And we live, our body wants to protect us and protect us and protect us. We're going to make it our fault and we're going to solve for that for the rest of our lives. And what I want to do is to get us out of that and say, what about tomorrow? You can't do anything about what happened. It's, there's a period at the end of that sentence. What sentence are you going to write next? And here's how we do that, right? So that's my goal here is to help everybody turn the page. We all need it. We're all collectively suffering, going through stuff. How do we get to what happens next? Yeah, that's so good. And I think... Um, it's incredibly timely, um, given this season we are all collectively going through. And I was thinking the other day, I was like, you know, it's it's not just a pandemic. It's like a pandemic and our car died. It's a pandemic and my kid's sick. It's pandemic and this devastating news. Right? Like it's everybody's carrying this little bit of extra something. Um and I was like, oh, I remember thinking in 2020, I was like, people are going to get stuck here. They are just going to pause their lives and they are going to not be able to move on. And a lot of it is we've had hope. It's been dashed. We've had hope. It's been dashed. Everything's gotten noisier. We feel like the wheels are coming off. And so what would you say to the person who feels like, I don't like, I'm just, I'm toast right now. The world has come at me and I'm done. 
if you look at some of our media metrics in-house that we look at, fewer books and media consumption on self-care, self-help are being sold now. It's like really? the country has just said, I'm, I'm done, I'm out, right? And if you know fight or flight or freeze, there's a moment in the trauma response that your body just goes, all right, I'm done. Like, let's curl up here and wait for the bear to do what the bear is going to do. And we'll live to fight another day. And I think that's where we are collectively. I actually think there's two things going on. One, I, I was doing an interview a few weeks ago and somebody asked me if this collectively for our country from a trauma and tragedy perspective was as bad as 9-11 when we, when we had this invincibility about us. And then all of a sudden we realized, oh, 19 guys can take this whole thing down, right? That was a shock for us. I said, I actually think this is worse. I think it's, it's exponentially worse. And here's why. That 9-11, there was a perceived common enemy. There was a rallying point for all of us. What the pandemic has done was sent us all home. And our neighbor walking their dog down the street might be the one who kills us next. Our teacher who's not wearing a mask or is wearing a mask or isn't vaxxed or is vaxxed might kill my kid. Or my kid who's not back might, right? So all of a sudden, the cornerstone of mental health, of spiritual health, of psychological health is other people, is community, is relationships. And that became the weapon here. And so we are completely untethered from other people. And we have lots of Zoom interactions. But as we all know, uh, most of communication is nonverbal. And so we're exchanging information here, which is great but we are not connecting and our bodies are starting to rattle. It's that low level hum of anxiety. And then I think the next thing, the other part is the, the, the core pillars of any society, right? Our faith traditions, our education systems, our government, our medical system, all of that. And it, everybody's looking around going, well, is the government trying to kill me? Is the government trying to save me? Are my kids' schools? And so our core pillars, we're now starting to doubt. And that's a scary moment for all of us because I don't think most of us have ever been here. We like to talk noise about them, but we all believe that schools are pretty good. And we all like the government, down with the government. But we all thought the government was plugging along in our best interest. And now, whether they are or not isn't the point. The point is that we're questioning them. And that's a scary point for all of us. We're alone and we're asking hard questions. Our foundation of our house feels like it's rattling. Totally. It feels very untethering. Yes. Um, so then what can we, what can we begin to do? Like very, even very practically, what are things people can do to say, I, I have a choice here. I don't have to choose to be um, knocked over the same way I feel like I've been taking a beating. Um, I can do some things differently. So what would you recommend for people to start doing a little bit differently to be able to not be feeling so scattered, so untethered. So I think what you said first is, is of utmost importance. It's the foundation. It's the roof of this whole thing, which is a choice to decide. I'm done with being tuned out. I'm done with being a passive rider on this train. I'm going to take some ownership of what happens next in my life even if it's a teeny tiny step. And I know there are marginalized people. I know there are people stuck in, in legacies of trauma. I get that. I'm talking about a centimeter step. 
an inch step, a like I'm going to take ownership of this, the next things I can own. And that's where this thing is hard because it's relatively simple, but very complicated, right? It's like, hey, how do I uh, lose 50 pounds? Then diet and exercise. Well, that sounds so easy, right? And it's a trillion dollar industry, right? So the first thing you can't do any sort of wellness. And I know this, this is, this bucks our cur current cultural ethos. You cannot do any sort of wellness. You can't do any sort of mental health, spiritual health, psychological health, relational health. You can't get he healthy at all by yourself, period. In full stop, end of discussion. You have to have other people in your gang, in your tribe, on your team. You've got to have other people walking alongside you, period. That might be a professional. That might be friends. That might be a spouse. That might be family. That might be an adopted. I don't care who it is. There is no long-term life change without other people. And so you've got to get connected. That's number one. And you can get up and start your exercise program on your own. You can get up and start your, you know, meditation practice, whatever the things are that you do by yourself, but you've got to be anchored back with other people and it's a risk and you got to be vulnerable and you're going to get rejected and you're going to have stories that come up from when you were a kid, you got to get connected. The second thing is you've got to be really open about understanding all you can control on planet earth is your thoughts and your actions. And that's it. And that's humbling and that's disorienting, and it's frustrating, and it's truth. I can't make my wife love me anymore. I can't make my kid, you know what I mean? I, I can force my kids to do things because I've got bigger muscles than they do right now, but that's short-term, right? I can control my actions, and I can control my thoughts, and so I'm going to begin to doing things that help me be well. I'm going to begin thinking things, putting things in my mind, starting some daily practices that are going to help me be and what you'll find is those things, as you look towards optimism, as you start making those small behavioral choices in your limited circle of influence and control, the dividends pay off exponentially. It's like compound interest. You do a little bit of exercise and a little bit of eating right and a little bit of human connection, a little bit of human touch, a little bit of reading instead of Netflixing, a little bit of putting your phone down, and all of a sudden you sleep an extra 30 minutes. You sleep deeper. You sleep a little bit better. You're a little bit kinder. And it just begins to do this, right? It just, it's exponential how your life shifts and changes on you. Yeah, so good. Um, I think it is incredibly powerful when we can pause and understand the difference between what we have control over and what we don't have control over. Because we spend a lot of time worrying and thinking about ruminating on things we have no control over. Um, and so I love- let's, let's address that. Ruminating feels like, like helpful thinking. Progress, yeah. It feels like you're doing something, right? It feels like you're getting somewhere. And ruminating is a complete and utter waste of our time. And I am a bad ruminator. I'm a bad, I, anxiety just wore me out for years. And it was that line that it's a complete waste of your time that I went, oh yeah. And literally began to stop ruminating that. I mean, I began working on stop ruminating, right? And I'll walk through my living room and I'll just be talking, thinking to myself and I'll say, nope, out loud, real loud. And my wife will laugh. She didn't even look up anymore, but I'm literally telling my head, we're not having this conversation right now. You know what I mean? Whatever worse. And I'm just going to continue to do that until my default setting is not spinning and worrying and worrying and spinning. It's looking for beauty. It's finding my kids doing something great. It's finding a quick moment. I can honor my wife and say, Hey, I'm grateful for you. I can text a buddy and tell him that I miss him and love him. Like I'm going to begin to make that my default orientation, not this could happen and this could happen and this could happen and this could happen. Right. 
Well, I love, um, this is um, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Take every thought captive. Mm. And um, there's a, a translation called the Passion Translation. And it says like prisoners of war. And I mm. love that terminology because I imagine being on the battlefield and being like, if you're taking someone as a prisoner of war, like this is actually, like they're fighting you. This is a lot of work. And so... For me, I will tell people, if you have never done this before, it is going to feel like a lot of work. It's like going to the gym and the first day you go to the gym, you do not understand how to use any of the equipment. <laughs> it's, it's scary and you feel very weak. But the next day you go, you're like, I know that machine. I can do that thing. And you get a little mm -hmm. bit stronger and you keep going. And I have found, as I've learned to take thoughts captive in the day, literally, as if somebody's trying to barge into my house, I slam the door. I am able to do that at night because mm. one of the things that happens is you can wake up in the middle of the night and you have some, I just have the most bizarre thoughts come my way about things that are not, they're not important. Like they're not, they're important. They're not that big a deal sometimes, but in the middle of the night, your brain doesn't know that. And so a thought, <laughs> a thought like, when my oldest had trouble learning how to read, it was like, your kid can't read and it's because of you and you did That's this. Right. And, and I'd be like, I know, and I need to figure it out. And it's like three in the morning, no one is learning how to read. And so, <laughs> right. but learning to take those thoughts captive in the day, being getting stronger in the day of saying exactly what you said, like slam that, like you don't get to come in here because I can't actually control you. Um, taking them captive in the day, you get stronger and then at night you actually can sleep more deeply because you're, when they come, you're like, go away. Like we'll deal with you tomorrow. Like this is, and I'm not saying that again to say it's easy because I think um, many of us have had dealt with our own levels of anxiety and different things. And some things are, some things feel like that thought that is like, there is a person at the door. <laughs> I have the sweetest neighbor girl, but when she comes, she bangs like a giant delivery man and, or she'll ring the doorbell. And so it can feel like that sometimes when th thoughts are coming our way. Um, and so a word that a word yeah. that has been a gift to folks I've worked with over the years has and it, it, it we feel like we're in the Super Bowl 24 7, 365. Like every thought, every action is this is it. This is the next fourth down and 10 to go, you know. Um, and if you don't score, the game's over. I want people to internalize the word practice. As you change your thoughts, you're just practicing. And LeBron James is going to practice today. He's going to take 100 shots before the game or 200 shots. He's going to miss 30, 40, 50% of them. And then he's going to go play the game. And you're going to miss some thoughts. You're going to find yourself in the shower ruminating on something. And you'd be like, what? Like, you know what I mean? You're going to catch yourself and you're going to be like, all right, we're done. We're done. And you're going to wake up at 3 a.m. and you're going to find yourself wondering what you did wrong, why you failed your kids so bad because they can't read. And you know what I mean? And then you're going to go, oh, whoa, 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 hold on. Now it's 3.45 and I'm practicing this. And this isn't a problem to be solved at three o'clock. So I'm going to put on my calendar. We'll circle back at eight. And by the way, my kid can't read. And so we'll just let that be, right? I'm going to practice this. We make these things into character issues and moral issues and failure issues. I want everybody to, I want to lower the pressure on this. This is, we're practicing. We're just practicing a new way of, of our minds working. 
And if you practice, eventually it becomes your default setting. It becomes the way it just orients itself. And so now, yes, I used to wake up at, I woke up at 2 a.m. every night for a decade. And now I'll wake up at 2. I literally will laugh. Like, oh gosh, are we doing this again? And then you go right back to sleep. Or it's 2.30 and I realize I'm not going back to sleep. You know what I do? I get up and read a book. And I kick my feet up. And I don't fight my body anymore. Because I know the next night I'm going to go to sleep. And I grind out my workout that day. And I know it's not going to be fun because I'm tired. And I know my radio show isn't going to be quite as is on point because I'm tired, but I'm going to catch it up the next day. I'm going to quit fighting my body all the time. And our bodies have an extraordinary way of re-regulating themselves if we'll stop going to war with ourselves every day. Well, I love that you share that concept of practicing because I think we too often have an idea of all or nothing. We're just going to hit it out of the park. Um, And really nothing in life works that way. Nothing, Um, nothing. Everything has its little stutter step. Um, and that ties really nicely into actions as well, because we are going to take practice with those actions. Again, figuring out the difference between what are things we can do and can control and we can't, we can control some actions. And so just being aware of like, what are the things that are going to be game changers? What are the things that are going to make a difference? So what would you say in terms of action steps? What are things that people can start to practice that would make a difference. I think when you're talking about um, action, changing actions, you're talking about changing habits, you're talking about motivation, you're talking about dopamine, you're talking about the whole system, right? One of the game changers for me recently, and he'll even say this is the least scientific part of his book, but it's the first time I've read it this way that caught my attention that became something that I do different the next day. And it was out of James Clear's Atomic Habits book, but he talks, you know, got a whole book about habits and motivation and behavior change. But he laid out a framework, which was don't start with the goal. Don't start with some arbitrary ending in mind. I'm an Astros fan, lifelong Houston Astros fan. They had one goal, win the World Series. And if that's your only goal, eventually you cut corners to get there, right? And you start banging on trash cans and you cheat and you invalidate the whole thing and you ruin me and my son's year. Just saying, not that I'm still carrying that around, but I kind of still am. James Clear says, start with your identity first. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be the, a person who honors your body? You're a good steward of your body and a good steward of your mind. Great. Let's start. I'm the kind of guy who takes care of his body. That makes working out way easier than I need to lose five pounds. I got to lose five pounds. And so I'm going to start with identity when it comes to action. I'm the kind of guy who is involved with his kids, that's going to dictate whether I plop down in front of the couch and watch Netflix or whether I go kick a soccer ball mindlessly with my six-year-old. It's going to end into some dodgeball game and then one of us is going to be crying. I, don't, I know how this ends, but it's under a, an identity, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is when it comes to changing any sort of actions, I'm going to look at the literature on mental health and I'm going to, you got to reach out to other people. You've got to be intentional about moving your body and i know it's become not cool to talk about how important exercise is how important body movement is how important going for walks is we've just gotten to a place where we can't differentiate between mental health and physical health and psychological health and spiritual it's all health and so i can't be fully well if i'm not moving my body i can't be fully well if i'm not sleeping and the downstream effects of being intentional about sleep means i gotta get off my machines and i gotta get off my 
um, illusion that I've got to control everything in the world and I've got to turn the news off and I've got to stop watching Netflix until the middle of the night. I got to, it, it really dictates a lot of my actions. And so, um, but sleep, moving your body, human connection, those are three of the big ones. And then four, putting the screens down, turning the knobs and buttons off and either getting out in nature, getting with other people, being awkward again, being vulnerable again, being weird again. We got to get back to that. Our bodies are desperate for it. So good. Um, going back to what you said about practicing, um, one of the things that I've found helpful has been to take my phone, plug it in at the kitchen island at like before nine o'clock. And I'm not hitting it out of the park. Like I'm not getting seven out of seven. Um, but four out of seven, even two out of seven is better <laughs> than not. And so I think um, sometimes it comes down to those very, very simple things that we just decide and decide I am a person who goes to bed at 10 o'clock or I'm a person who plugs my phone in. I'm a person who we, this is incredibly embarrassing because our kids' school is down the road. It is like a 60-second <laughs> drive. We drove my oldest to school for years, for years. I, I couldn't fathom, and we had a little baby, you know, the whole thing. But we are a family who walks to school now. Took us Very a while, good. but I think it really helps even in that the conversation we're having before about the you know, bad mom or whatever it is. Um, I had a very profound moment. I'm having a very hard day. I was traveling with my kids by myself. They're all young. And I had a woman stop me twice. It was the same woman as we were taking a ferry. Um, stopped me probably between an hour and a half of each other. And both times she looked me in the eye and she said, you're a great mom. And wow. I was, I was like, I'm going to start to cry. <laughs> and um, the second time she said it, I had, we just come into the bathroom and my middle daughter, I'd like made her go to the bathroom. Cause I was like, you know how toddlers like, I don't have to go. And I'm like, we're getting back in the car. You have to go. And I didn't feel like a great mom, but she looked at me and she said, you're a great mom. And I left that bathroom and I was like, I'm a great mom. And I kind of like <laughs> stood up taller and I realized sometimes we need to like live into it. And so when she spoke that into me, I was like, I, I am a great mom, but I'm now living into it. And so I think we're not just telling ourselves these things to puff ourselves up and be like, you know, you're, don't worry, you're the best. Like my five-year-old is on a kick right now where she continually says to me, you're the best mom in the world. And I'm like, you've said it to me 45 times today. It's lost a bit of its, you know, magic. <laughs> and you cannot have any M&M's leaf. You're right. Well, I think she just wants me to say it back to her, but right. um, but there is something about, okay, what are we, what are we really anchoring on who we are and living into that, yeah. right? So some of that might not be fully true, but what does it look like to begin to say, this is who I want to be? So I And if you, if you look at the, we've created entire language and industries around hacks right? Life hacks and body hacks, whatever. Just reverse engineer it. And so if you look at the, you know, Huberman's um, ocular science literature on getting sunlight in the morning helps with melatonin, <laughs> melatonin production, right? 
if you look at the science about body movement and connectivity and looking your kids in the eye and holding their hands when you can, you solve all of that drama, all the, you don't need any gadgets, just walk your kid to work, right? And um, there's a great guy in California named Pete that said, like, I looked at our oil dependence issues and I looked at our diabetes issues and I looked at our, you know, car pollution issues and I thought, we don't need billions of dollars to like just ride your bike. You know what I mean? And it right. was this very simple. We overthink this. We over dramatize it. Um, and I don't want to blow by an important point you made. Most of our problems that are in our head aren't solved in our head. They are solved through doing. And I wish that was not the case. I'm an intellectual. I'm a nerd. I would rather read a book than go do a thing. But I've learned if I'm angry with my wife, if I'm frustrated at home, if I'm angry with my kids, say nothing until I go for a walk or go for a run or go ride my bike or go do something. And then I inevitably come back more calm, more at peace, more ready to have a rational conversation. My fight or flight is disengaged. My thinking brain is back on. And now we can have a communication, right? So we often like try to think our way into better mental health, think our way into a better relationship. You know what? I just got to start emptying the dishwasher. I got to start vacuuming and picking up my clothes off the floor like there's not some great big secret here you know what i mean and there are moments of vulnerability like you and your husband like i need to we need to give a state of the union how are you i miss you here i you know um our sex life is here our connection is here i don't really like the way you're talking to our son like those things have to happen but those happen on a foundation of we're both working we're doing the things every day to honor one another to honor ourselves I mean, those conversations become much more easier. They become much more natural, much more fluid, much more connected. Um, well, I um, just texted your wife about the dishwasher. And she's, <laughs> she's, she's pretty excited about that. Um, thank you for being here, John. As we wrap up, I just want to know, um, is there anything else you'd want to leave with people who are feeling like, hey, the last few years have been hard? Is there hope? For me, because I feel like I've just been in a really hard place. Um, what would you say to that person? The last few years has tested our basic primitive fight or flight systems. And so if you found yourself angry at everybody, if you found yourself checking every possible news click and and ding and stock market up and down and COVID thing. Or if you found yourself just wanting to stay under the covers and watch another series on Netflix and another series and another series, and you're just handing your kids sugar and saying, y'all do it. I want you to know you're not broken. Our bodies were designed to handle a tiger at the front of our cave. It was not designed to handle a million tigers living in our homes with us and being piped into our heads and through our headphones every day. And so I want people to give themselves grace. I want themselves to go to people to look in the mirror and go, we are in the middle of a hurricane. It's okay that I'm not okay. And now, what am I going to do next? Right? So it's not okay to stay there. I want people to go, I'm going to take my power back. I'm going to stand back up. I'm going to reach back out and say, I'm not okay. I'm going to grab somebody's hand and we're going to go get this thing. And so I find people on either side, either feelings are ruling the day. How I feel dictates everything. I'm just going to quit that job. I don't feel like it anymore, but you got to eat. You're gonna need, you need a roof, right? And I feel there's a other side, a movement in our country, which is 
you don't forget feelings, just grind it out and go and go and go. And I'm trying to carve a third way, which is you got to feel your feelings. You got to own how your body's responding. And you then got the hard reality, the hard truth of changing what comes next. And we got to take our power back. So is there light at the end of this tunnel? 100,000%. Yes. There is light. It is bright. It's at the end of the tunnel. It's time for us to stand up and go get it. So well said. Um, I love that um, John's book also just even addresses uh, grief and even grieving those things. And so um, when it releases this spring, pick up a copy of Own Your Past, Change Your Future, a not-so-complicated approach to relationships, mental health, and wellness. Now, John, where can people find that book and where can they find you? Um, it's, I'm still, I'm getting used to the internets. It's at, uh, johndeloney.com and, or ramseysolutions.com. You can get a copy of it. Uh, and you can find me on the internets at John Deloney across all of the, not diving boards, the platforms. I'm going to get this Jacqueline. I'm learning how the internets work. (laughs) I'm welcome to the 21st century. Yeah. You can find me at John Deloney and, um, look forward to catching up. Hey, thank you so much. I'm really grateful for you. Yeah, this was a great show, and uh, I trust this has helped you move one step closer to thriving. Wasn't that an awesome conversation with Dr. John? I wanted to hop on here and share two other things that I think can be helpful tools in your tool belt, because I think there are so many things when it comes to mental health, really, that can help us. I'm going to have a few more episodes in the next few weeks, all really geared towards tools and things that can help us. Um, I want to share about my Tangled course. And if you are an old listener of the show, you've heard about it lots, but really um, my book Tangled and my course came out of the process that God led me through um, in healing anxiety and depression. And so it has been really helpful for other people talking about very similar things that Dr. John was talking about in terms of kind of facing uh, the truth, facing the hard things in our lives um, to find freedom and healing. So there's a link in the show notes to my Tangled book and course. As well, there is a free mental health assessment. And recently I have been learning about how healing our gut um, actually has a direct correlation to our mind as well. And so if you want to take that free mental health assessment um, or message me on Instagram or through email, you can find a little bit more about what I've been doing to heal my gut and how it has made a huge difference um, in my mental health as well as actually uh, my overall health. So those are a few tools I wanted to share with you. I hope you really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that has helped you move one step closer to thriving. Can I just say thank you for listening? This space has been incredibly encouraging for me this past year. And as I am being deeply encouraged by these conversations, I trust you are as well. And I'm not going to ask you to rate the show or subscribe, but I am going to ask if while you were listening today, a friend popped into your mind and you thought, hmm, I think they could use this encouragement. Can I ask you to share this episode with them, with one person? When I listen to podcasts on my phone, there are three little dots at the bottom right, and I click there to share. Also, can I say sometimes I don't share with others as I'm worried about what they'll think of me if they think I'm bugging them by sharing something, but when someone shares something with me, I am never bothered. Often it is the exact 
thing I needed to hear. So if someone popped into your mind, click those three little dots and share this encouraging conversation with them. And thank you for listening to Ready to Thrive.